0: Well, can I encourage you to uh, turn back to 1 Kings and chapter 10 as we look at this piece of Old Testament history. And uh, I think I can get our first slide. Yes, there's a reminder of the passage. And the theme for this morning is this. The splendor of God's appointed king. The splendor of God's appointed king. I don't know how well that you know your Old Testament and how much of the background to this particular piece of history that we have read that you're aware of. But perhaps I can just remind you of a few things. Solomon has been anointed as king in succession to his father, King David. And that this was all in the plan and purpose of God. It's interesting in verse 9, even the Queen of Sheba recognizes that this is the case. And in many ways, some might have thought that this was a surprising uh, choice of king. He wasn't the eldest in line. His mother had conceived him in an adulterous relationship with King David. And he had a number of half-brothers who had seemed, in the history that we have, to be those who might have been capable of leading the people. But it was God's purpose that Solomon was to reign. And as the one who reigned, he had been given the responsibility of building the temple for God. He had a wonderful service of dedication that's mentioned in chapter 8. He built his own palace, and a palace for his his bride, the daughter of the uh, king of Egypt... And he took 20 years over those building projects. So he was obviously someone who was concerned uh, to make sure he left his mark with building things. And he'd strengthened his rule over the land. He'd started various lucrative business ventures. And his fame had spread right across the known world of that time. And that's why the Queen of Sheba comes into the story. She comes to see for herself If what she's heard is true. And two things particularly triggered her curiosity. They're mentioned there in verse 1. First of all, the king's glory, or as it's recorded here, about the fame of Solomon. The glory of his person and reign. And then the second thing was the king's God, who is the Lord. You notice that it says that she'd heard about the fame of Solomon and his relationship to the Lord. And when she gets there and meets Solomon and sees all that there is about his his kingdom, she discovers that what she'd heard wasn't the half of it. Solomon's rule was magnificent. His wisdom was very great. He was able to answer all the questions that she brought to him. His rule itself was deeply impressive impressive with the way in which people responded to his rule and the finery in which they were dressed. His citizens clearly considered themselves fortunate to be under his reign. We're told twice that they were happy people in verse verse 8. And the king's splendor was seen not only in the building projects that he had completed but also in the great wealth and riches of the nation. In verse uh, 21, although we didn't read it, uh, you'll notice that it says this. All King Solomon's godblits were gold, and all the household articles in the palace of the forest of Lebanon were pure gold. Nothing was made of silver, because silver was considered of little value in Solomon's days. She observed, too, the all-surpassing excellence of the king in his riches and wisdom. And then she marveled at his God, the Lord, and honored God, the Lord, as the one who was clearly Solomon's God and the God who loved Israel. And as a result, she lavished gifts on Solomon. We read about that in verse 10. And it may seem strange to us that it's, it's as much mounted, counted in spices as it is in, in monetary wealth. But spices have always been really precious things, and particularly going back in time. So these were lavish gifts that she brought to King Solomon. And you'll notice that he responded with even greater generosity. We read about that in verse 13. Uh, He gave the Queen of Sheba all she desired and asked for, besides what he had given her out of his royal bounty. So he was extremely generous uh, towards her. And it's very probable that he did this because he was seeking to establish a commercial relationship with the Queen of Sheba, as she and he were on a trade route from which they could make much more money. But the story we have here of Solomon's encounter with the Queen of Sheba is actually just a cameo of a number of visits that were made. If you turn to verses 24 and 25, you will see the whole world sought audience with Solomon to hear the wisdom God had put in his heart. Year after year, everyone who came brought a gift, articles of silver and gold, robes, weapons and spices, And horses and mules. Now, if you like history, and if particularly if you like Old Testament history, that's all fascinating. It's interesting to read about. But what is it that God wants us to learn from this? Why have we got this Old Testament record of this episode? What's the purpose that God has in it? Well, it's because it is all pointing forward to the Lord Jesus Christ we're going to look at three things from this passage that we can learn. And the first of them is the greater glory of God's forever king. The greater glory of God's forever king. In the Old Testament, we have characters. Uh, we also have events in history. Uh, we also have items that were part of the life and the worship of Israel that in one way or another point forward to the Lord Jesus. They're referred to as foreshadowings of the Lord Jesus or signposts pointing to the Lord Jesus. They're telling us about what to expect in the king that God is going to give who will be the supreme ruler over all. And however great the glory of Solomon is, however much of his fame had spread across the known world of that time, The king that he anticipates is a king who is infinitely greater than Solomon. And God has made it very clear in his word who we're to understand that that king is. Who is this everlasting king of God's appointment? Well, for instance, he's the one revealed in Psalm 2, where God says, I've installed my king, my anointed one on Zion, my holy hill. And the New Testament picks up on a psalm like Psalm 2 and also Psalm 110 to point us to the fact that his own dear son, who incarnate is the Lord Jesus Christ, who was going to be the one who fulfilled all of these finger posts pointing forward. The New Testament tells us that his splendor and glory is unsurpassed. He has the name that is above every name. Or as Colossians tells us, he is the one who has the supremacy, the preeminence. He's far above and beyond all others. But how does this passage in the Old Testament help us to understand that? Well, there are many things that we see in this record about Solomon that do actually point directly to the Lord Jesus. But there are also, and inevitably, those things in which Solomon was but a poor shadowing of the Lord Jesus himself. Yes, Solomon had great splendor and riches in this world, but the king who he foreshadows had a splendor and riches that are not of this world. You all know that the Lord Jesus was born into a lowly place. He was laid in a manger. He came into this world without, it seemed, any worldly wealth. He lived for 30 years in relative obscurity as the son of a carpenter and learning something of the carpenter's trade. He lived amongst the common people He shared in their struggles and trials, the tiredness and temptations of life in this world. But, even at the age of 12, the amazing wisdom that he had became evident. When at 12 he was in the temple, disputing and debating and questioning the religious leaders, the scripture tells us that everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. In his three years of ministry, he proclaimed the word of God and the truth of the kingdom with a wisdom that caused the people to marvel at him. At the outset of his ministry, John in his gospel tells us that the crowd in the temple were amazed and asked, how did this man get such learning without having studied? He had an authority that the scribes and Pharisees could not match. We're told in Matthew 7 that the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as the teachers of the law. So the Queen of Sheba was amazed by the wisdom of Solomon That he could answer all the deepest, and as she thought, the hardest questions of her heart and mind. When the Lord Jesus walked this earth, the people marveled at his wisdom and knowledge and understanding. They recognized that he had an authority in his teaching that was unmatched by anyone else. But the scripture also tells us that the Lord Jesus didn't only come to preach and to teach. He came for us to be our saviour. He came to go to the cross where he would face the death of a, cr- a common criminal. But his life wasn't taken from him. He had the authority to lay it down and he had the, the authority to take it up again. He was able to lay down his life as a sacrificial offering of atonement for the sins of his people. And as he did that, written on a plaque above his head, it said, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. His authority extended to his ability to be raised from the dead and then to ascend into heaven. And there exalted to the highest place and given a name that is above every name, There he's seated upon the throne of God at his Father's right hand. There at this very moment he rules and reigns. There he intercedes for us as his people. And there he waits, not helplessly or passively, but he waits for the time of his Father's appointment when all his enemies will be placed beneath his feet. The day when he will return as judge of the living and the dead. The day when he will be revealed in a kingly splendor that has never been observed in this world before. And he will come and his people will see and they will rejoice in the glory and majesty of his splendor and will be happy that he is their king. Because you see, his kingdom is not of this world. It's not marked by the things that are claimed by this world as as evidences of glory and splendor. But his kingdom and reign will be glorious. It will be a glory that far surpasses even that of Solomon. And the day is coming when that glory and rule will be revealed so that every I will see him, and every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that the Lord Jesus Christ is Lord of all. And then he will bring in a kingdom of such splendor that it's hard for us, who are familiar only with the things of this world, to really grasp and understand. And that's why he were read from Psalm 72 earlier. It's a psalm that points forward to the great reign of God's forever king. It points us to the splendor, the righteousness, the holiness, all the bounty and the peace and joy of the kingdom that the Lord Jesus Christ will establish. And this is our Lord Jesus. This is our king. And this is the one to whom every knee will bow. And this is the one to whom men and women and boys and girls are being drawn from across all the nations of the world, even today. All this is the greater glory of God's forever King. But I want you to notice that knowing the glory and splendor of Solomon, it brought forth a response from the Queen of Sheba. And that is where we need to see ourselves in the story as well. We're not there just as citizens of this great king who is foreshadowed, but we are represented in a sense by the Queen of Sheba. Those who've been drawn to and want to know more of God's king. Because of what we've heard. Because of what we've heard from the Scriptures. Because of what we've heard from the testimony of somebody who has shared that with with us. Because of what we've heard when we've been in a place where God's Word has been preached and taught. And just as the Queen of Sheba was thrilled and awed and overwhelmed by what she observed of Solomon, So we too should be thrilled and overawed and overwhelmed by the glory of the King who is in heaven. I want you to notice that the Queen of Sheba wasn't the only one who had heard of the glories of Solomon. She, along with others, would have also taken time to talk with Solomon to listen carefully and respectfully to his wise answers. She observed all aspects of his rule and activities and was moved in her heart by the splendor and wonder of them. She was overwhelmed by what she saw and heard. She admitted that not even the half was told her. And so she responded generously to Solomon as a mark of her respect. And it's just, or should be, just the same for us as we come to know the glories of our Saviour King, the Lord Jesus. Is it a delight for us to listen to him? Is it a delight for us to be able to share the very depths of our heart with him? Is it a joy and a privilege to bring to him the very best that we can. Is it our delight to spend time in God's Word that we might know and understand the Lord Jesus better? Is it our delight to spend time in prayer so that we can bring to Him the concerns and the questions of our heart so that we can grow in grace and in the knowledge and love of the Lord Jesus? Are we obedient to his commands, especially to love God with all our being and love one another as he has loved us? Do we bring him the very best that we can of the financial resources with which we have been blessed and do so cheerfully? Do we bring to God the very best of the gifts that he's given to us in works of service? to build up and edify the body of Christ and to see the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ spread across the world? Do we give him the very best of our time and energy in willing and wholehearted service for the Lord? You see, the Queen of Sheba recognized that it was because of the Lord's great and eternal love for Israel that he had given them such a great king in Solomon. And that's how we should understand what God has done for us. Because of the Lord's eternal love for us, he has appointed the Lord Jesus Christ to be our king. And that's why the Lord Jesus is worthy of all our adoration and praise us giving to him the very best that we can. And it's a challenge, isn't it? Is the Lord Jesus Christ our all in all? Is he our supreme delight? How wonderful is King Jesus to me? Do I know him more? Am I captivated more in my heart and mind by him now than when I first believed? Do I know and trust him that as he has all wisdom that even when I feel that I am perplexed by the things that I see and hear I know that ultimately he has the answer and he knows how to work all things out for the good of those who love him. Do I trust him that when I give he is abundantly able to give so much more than ever I can give to him, and am I as willing as I should be to spread his fame abroad, causing others to see just how wonderful the Lord Jesus is? To him we're going to sing in a, in a short while, and it has the chorus: "All that thrills my soul is Jesus. He is more than life to me, and the fairest of ten thousand in my blessed Lord." I see. That's a challenge, isn't it? Can I really say that all that thrills my soul is Jesus? Perhaps we might feel a little bit more like John Newton, who wrote in the hymn that we sang a little earlier, Weak is the effort of my heart, and cold my warmest thought. But then he adds... But when I see thee as thou art, I'll praise thee as I ought. Yes, there may be times when in this life we find ourselves distracted from being as committed to the Lord Jesus as we ought to be by the things of this world, by our own foolish, weak hearts. But we know that there's a day coming when freed from sin and under his glorious and eternal reign, We'll enjoy him forever and we'll praise him as we ought. But as I close, thirdly, the warning that God's anointed one gave. In the New Testament, in Matthew chapter 12, we read about the fact that there were those who were confronting the Lord Jesus and demanding a miraculous sign despite the fact that he'd already performed many miraculous deeds. And Jesus said to them, The Queen of the South will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And now one greater than Solomon is here. Well, clearly Jesus felt that those who observed him in his ministry had no excuse. But there's a sense in which we're without excuse too, isn't there? Because we have the reliable record of the Scriptures, the first-hand accounts of those who were with Jesus regarding the splendor of the King. We have the present-day testimony of lives wonderfully changed by a true encounter with Jesus. Wasn't it a blessing just a few weeks ago? to hear the testimonies of the folks who were baptized, to see the different ways God had broken into their lives and the way in which they knew that they owed everything to the Lord Jesus Christ. We have the testimony of God's people regarding the wisdom and goodness of the King, the Christians who share with us something of what God has done to help them through times of struggle and difficulty and Sadness. We have all this testimony. Testimony of people who are coming to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ from across the world. Some of them in some of the most difficult circumstances possible. You could argue we're in an even more privileged position than the Queen of Sheba. We know that the forever king is drawing a people under his rule... And that there are happy people who live under the reign of King Jesus. A people who would not exchange him for any other. So how should we respond to what we've we've heard this morning? Well, if we're a Christian, is it evident that we're a privileged people? Joyfully living under the rule of King Jesus? Do people see... A marked difference in us as to how we face the challenges and the joys, the trials, and the blessings of this life. Can we say that we truly delight in and marvel at the person and works of the Lord Jesus? And we are so thankful that he is God's appointed king because he loves us. And do we commend the rule? of the Lord Jesus to others by our lip and by our life. But perhaps this morning you have to say that you've not yet believed in the Lord Jesus. You can't acknowledge him as your Lord and Savior, your Master and King. And all I would encourage you to do is in hearing the word this morning... And being able to read the scriptures for yourself. Let God through his word speak to you. That you might be captivated by the glory and greatness of King Jesus. And will you bow the knee before him. And confess him as Lord and saviour. Because there's a day coming. When whether we like it or not. Every one of us will need to kneel and to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. Let's just take a moment to pray, shall we? Let's pray. Loving, gracious, and merciful Father, we thank you that all of Scripture does indeed point to the Lord Jesus and we thank you for the way in which this episode in the Old Testament history of long ago points us to the greater glory of your forever King. And we thank you, loving, gracious God, for each one here this morning who has bowed the knee to the Lord Jesus, who has confessed him as Lord and knows that he is their Lord and Savior. And we pray for each of us who have that testimony That we would have that desire to grow in our knowledge and understanding and love for the Lord Jesus more and more. That the testimony of our lives might grow ever brighter towards our last of days. And loving, gracious God, we pray for those who have not yet trusted in the Lord Jesus. Lord, would you open their eyes to the glory and beauty and splendor of the Lord Jesus that they might acknowledge him as your forever king and seek him for the salvation that only he can offer. Lord, have mercy, we pray, and accomplish your own sovereign purpose through your word this morning, as we ask it in the Savior's name. Amen. 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 We're going to sing that hymn that I, I mentioned. Uh, it's the hymn that begins, who can cheer the heart like Jesus? And then there'll be an uh, opportunity for us to gather around the Lord's table.